Hello and welcome to the Friday edition of the 66 to 87 podcast on DK Sports Radio. This is your moderator, Tom Reed. I'm joined today uh, by Taylor Haas, who was in Pittsburgh, and Dave Molinari, who is still working his way up and down the East Coast. Uh, Dave was uh, in Madison Square Garden uh, to see the Penguins kind of right themselves a little after a pretty embarrassing defeat to the hands of these Ra- the Rangers on Tuesday night. Bounced back with a strong 5-2 to win. Goals by a beauty from Adam Zahorn, Chris Letang, Evan Rodriguez, Jason Zucker, and Mark Jankowski into an empty net. Uh, and through all of these problems and all of these struggles and everyone worrying about the sky is falling with a couple of bad games in Boston and New York, uh, they're back to two points out of first place in the East Division. Dave, you were at the game tonight. What's your headline? Oh, it, it has to be the the strong play of uh, Radim uh, Zahorna. I mean, he w- he was just outstanding from from start to finish. You know, he got the Penguins going with a a spectacular goal. Um, he was just solid all over the ice, and uh, you know, it it was acknowledged. He was uh, honored as the number one star of the game. Uh, which, when you consider some of the uh, the talented guys on, on both teams, you know that's no small feat. Yeah, and and Taylor, uh, uh, he had a great game. Uh, I really thought this was a game where, obviously, that first line is always going to be the story of coming into games. But I really thought their secondary guys played very well tonight. You you just look through the through the lineup and the contributions they got. Uh, what caught your eye? I mean, yeah, like Dave said, Zahorna. Um, that goal he scored, uh, he, he said after, you know, he scored him like that before in, uh, you know, the Czech Republic. But he scored two nearly identical goals to that in, in Wilkes-Barre, uh, actually in the same game earlier in the season against Hershey, where he, um, you know, just protects the puck driving to the net, cutting in front like that, um, which he's able to do because of his size. Um, so, I mean, that was that was uh, a huge from him. I mean, he's, he's looked good. Uh, since he's been up, um, I don't know how long he has a spot in the lineup. The guy's getting healthy, but he he's definitely shown that he can play at this level. Um, but yeah, that was um, that was I, I think what stood out the most to me. Dave, let's uh, maybe maybe we've been we've buried the lead here a little uh, at the start here, but all the talk uh, coming into this game was the uh, the amount of goals this team has hemorrhaged in its previous two games after just being so solid for so long. Uh, coming out of New York and now playing New Jersey, do you think they've kind of regained their e- equilibrium a little bit, or was it just a two-off, not a one-off, and they should be okay now? Or what's your well, sense of that? They took some steps in the right direction, certainly. But, you know, this was uh, hardly a, a uh, flawless performance that they that they turned in Thursday night. You know, they, there were still some – breakdowns um even Tristan Jari who is such a great puck handler had a couple of misadventures with the puck including one where he misplayed it and and gave the puck to the Rangers with an empty net and the Rangers promptly missed the empty net uh it was quite a comical sequence 
and uh, and one of two wide open nets uh, that that New York missed on this game or in this game. So you know, yes, it it was definitely a uh, a step forward, uh, qu- quite a few notches above the Penguins' performance on Tuesday night, but uh, the bar had been set awfully low in that one. Uh- one obviously big moment in the game, the Rangers trailing, trying to get back into it. Chris Kreider is not going to remind anybody of of Sidney Crosby or Chris Letang when it comes to shootouts, but it was a, a big moment in the game, and Jari, uh, Jari stood in there and stopped uh, the penalty shot. Uh, did, you, did you feel that was a key moment as well, Taylor? Yeah, I mean, that, that was pivotal. Uh, I mean, as close as, as this game was, um, that could have really uh, – Un, undid things but um yeah I I big I think response from Jari after the you know the last two games and the goals they let in um the chances they let in, let in but uh I I mean I thought this was a good response defensively uh rebounding from the last two yeah it was too bad for Kreider that he couldn't let somebody else take the penalty <laughs> shot while he set a screen in front of Jari <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I think if you would ask coaches, if they would put this to a vote right now, if you could name, if you could take your guy off, if, if somebody has a penalty shot and say, no, we don't even want it, we'll just take the power play. I think you would you would have about 25 teams that say, yes, let's do that, depending on who the shooter is. Because most of the times, I mean, you, you could see Kreider had no confidence going into that. He just looked like he was like, I can't do it. You're right, Dave. Just like put him in front of the net and see what happens. Uh, but again, Jari made some other nice saves. Again, he <laughs> the misadventures may be remembered more than more than some of the saves. But I think this was important. It was important, and I thought it was good that I thought it was very good on Mike Sullivan for getting him right back in there. That, that, that some coaches may have said, "Okay, let him, give him a day to clear his head, and we'll bring him back in New Jersey." But he put him back right back out against a team that. When it's on its game, uh, can be explosive, and I and I thought he rewarded his coach, Dave. Oh yeah, he you know he had a very good game, and the uh, you know the the striking thing about about his misadventures with the puck was that you know handling the puck is really one of his great assets, one of the real pluses in his game. So you know when he mishandles one, you know it's it's noteworthy. Uh, yeah. But it it, it it certainly did not detract from his overall performance in the game, though. It's, yeah, and Taylor, I thought that, that as Dave mentioned, there were moments uh, in this game where the Rangers had chances. But I thought overall uh, the Penguins just looked a little more tenacious, a bit more locked in tonight to res- responsibilities. Uh, the Rangers didn't have nearly as much time. Uh, to make plays, and they stepped in front of passing lanes, particularly on the power play. I can't tell. I, I know they scored a power play goal, but I can't tell you how many times they seem to anticipate pass cross ring passes that they broke up. I just thought they, from a defensive standpoint, were much obvious statement, much better. But they just looked locked in the whole game. Yeah, and if you look at you know some of the collapses in the in the last two games, I it, it's not. It, they weren't a lot of them weren't really things like they were like building up over time like oh and it's time to get worried it was a, they it was a lot of weird things happened in in the last two games like in um the, specifically the one against the rangers like 
Um, Crosby had three turnovers and like, how often do you see that happen? Like that's not the norm. The, uh, you know, the PK led in three goals last game. You know, that they haven't let in three all season uh, before that. They'd only let in two twice. Um, and just the number of high danger chances they were allowing last game. Um, I think it was like the most they had allowed in a month. So it, it wasn't like, you know, all these things finally caught up to them. It was, everything seemed to go wrong at once um, the last game. Um, so it was it was nice to see them rebound uh, this game because they did they did improve from the, the Boston game to the New York game in some areas, um, like offensively, uh, the last game against the Rangers that they generated the most chances they had all season. They had 70 right. attempts. Yeah. Um, so just to see, you know, now the defense rebound in a similar way, um, I think that's encouraging. Yeah, I, I mean, when you when you give up eight or nine goals, look, you, you're, you're not going to have many times where you can say, well, you know, let's break that down a little bit. But I agree. I mean, it's just Gherkin was actually really good in that game. He gave up four goals, but uh, they had a glorious chances early in that game. Uh, couldn't convert. The Rangers scored a couple of kind of weird, funky goals. Uh, and I, you just got a sense, I, at least I did, I, I expected the Penguins to come out tonight and really show why they are a playoff team uh, against the, the youngest team in the league. And that's what it looked like to me. They said, you're not, going to, you're not going to get into this game tonight, even though they tied it, Dave. I thought it was important uh, in a game like this where the Rangers do get some life, get the power play goal. It was, they were fishing it out of the back of their net about a minute and 20 seconds later. Yeah, and uh, something else that I think is encouraging for the Penguins, uh, or maybe not, they won this game without much of a contribution from the their top line, which so yeah. often has carried them. Uh, Jake Gensel was, was the only member of that line to uh, turn up on the score sheet for anything other than a penalty. Uh, he had an assist, but, uh, you know, no goals – from that line. And, you know, I thought uh, Sidney Crosby had a, a subpar game for the second game in a row, which, you know, probably ties a career streak for him. Uh, so, you know, do, do you worry because uh, your, your top line was lackluster in, in a game that where you really wanted to get things turned around? Or are you encouraged that, you know, because you were able to do it without a, uh, a big contribution from those guys? Yeah. Well, again, I think uh, some people can walk, uh, can be walked back off the ledge after, after this win tonight. And now, again, on to New Jersey. Uh, which Before we'll, we move on, I think yes. we just have to point out, Freddie Goudreau went 11 for 12 in face-offs. <laughs> um, just like... Right. That's very good, but it is taken down by the fact that that was against the worst worst face-off team in the league, maybe in, in the league's history. But, yeah, you win 11. 11 for 12. You're, like you're doing something good. That's wrong. Yeah. On the subject of Freddie Gaudreau being overlooked, when the Rangers pulled the goalie and were, you know, they were still down two, but there was quite a bit of time left. Uh, in regulation, certainly enough time to score two goals. They were pressing uh, pretty hard for a third goal, and Gaudreau made a terrific play to get the puck out of the, uh, not only out of the Penguin zone, but to get it all the way to the New York end and, and 
tie up there for a few seconds and give the Penguins a chance to get some fresh guys on the ice. And, you know, it was just, it was a, a play that, uh, you know, will in the, in the grand scheme of things probably get overlooked. But at the time, uh, I think was was a, a really significant contribution to to them holding on. Yeah, I think I think that, that again this, the kind of the storyline of this game was as you mentioned right off with that spectacular goal, a really good night for the for the second and third line guys and fourth line. I'm sorry, second through fourth line guys. A uh, lot of good contributions. Evan Rodriguez, I think he seems to play well against the Rangers most games. Uh, a really good performance, Goudreau, as you guys mentioned. All right, let's uh, move on. We're going to be moving on here in the 66 to 87 podcast. We'll be back in a few minutes for our second segment and in our third segment to preview uh, the upcoming Devils series. Uh, we'll have Matt Laughlin uh, from MSG Network, uh, the voice, television voice of the Devils. Please stay with us. Quoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, and welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast. Just Dave and I for this segment. Uh, Tom Reed is uh, driving somewhere, I think. Um, but uh, yeah, with the with the trade deadline coming uh, Monday, I, I know that's what everyone wants to hear about. Uh, Dave, you were on the call with Ron Hextall, um the other day, and obviously the trade deadline was the was the big focus. What what did he say about his plans heading into the the trade trade deadline? He didn't really break much new ground. He uh, reiterated that he uh, would be interested in in adding a, a big forward, a uh, little toughness to his lineup. But he uh, he didn't sound as if uh, you know that was something that he felt absolutely had to be done. It you know he it's he gave the impression that. He will look into anything that comes along, but that at least at that point, he didn't feel uh, obligated to uh, make a move just for the sake of, of, of changing things up uh, by the deadline. And that was, that was after the Penguins had uh, back-to-back defensive stinkers against the Bruins and Rangers. And, uh, you know, he said that... Uh, those two performances would not really uh, have much of an impact or have any impact for that matter on what he does uh, between now and the deadline uh, just because it was such a small sample size and because the Penguins had shown before that uh, that the group they have can uh, can play pretty effectively even with some key guys out. Yeah, because it, was, it wasn't that long ago that we were talking about, you know, potential maybe – centers that they could add for the fourth line to you know replace Jankowski but uh I mean the 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 depth has been tested you know with with Bluger and and, and Malkin out and Gaudreau is really 
uh, stepped up in that time. And I mean, we've talked about it before on here, and I think we've both written about it, but uh, he's only played uh, 10 games as of when we're talking. Um, do you think that that small sample size, he's shown that he, you know, they don't need to go out and add a, add a center now? Um, yeah. No, I think, I think uh, you know, there's certainly nothing we've seen to this point that, that makes me question that, that Gaudreau can uh, take a regular shift for them. I mean, in addition to that, he's a look to be a pretty good penalty killer and, and doesn't, he has the skills to at least uh, get a little bit of time on, on the second power play. I think he's been quite a find for them for a, for a guy who wasn't really expected to even be in the, in the NHL this season. And, with the return of Teddy Bluger seeming to be pretty close, you know, I, I think that uh, Gaudreau's play really takes away any any need to to add a, a center. If if Hextall might have been feeling that uh, such a thing would have been necessary a few weeks ago, would you be surprised if they don't do anything at all before Monday? No, that wouldn't surprise me based on how things stand right now. Uh, you know, there's a few games to be played between now and then, and you know that could change the outlook. But you know, the uh, the only thing I wonder is, you know, would would Hextall feel the need to do something just to do something because he's new on the job, and you know he would want to make sure that. Uh, people knew that he he was in fact doing his job i don't think that's the kind of thing that would bother him if that would be the perception in some quarters but you know because he's new here we really don't know you know he's he's developing a, a track record here on a on a day-by-day basis but at, at, at this point i really don't think he feels any necessity to to make a change and I mean, they also really just don't have a whole lot to give up. We've talked before about, you know, how if they want to move an asset out from the NHL roster, a left-handed defenseman. But um, as far as like picks and prospects, they they really don't have much to give up. And Hextall doesn't seem like um, someone who would be willing to give a whole lot of that up. I know he he mentioned in uh, you know the when when you talk to him, uh, you have to think about the future too. So that is on his mind. How much do you think the they're willing to, I guess, mortgage the future at this point? Not a whole lot. Uh, again, as, assuming they don't have any major injuries, you know, if, if you lose a couple more top six guys, you know, maybe that forces his hand to do something. Um, but he really does seem to have a, an eye on the future, which I, I, I'm sure is being done with, uh, you know, the approval of ownership, you know, a, a GM who, charts his own course without doing the bidding of the uh, people who hired him is probably not long for the job. So I think uh, his bosses are aware that, you know, the, uh, the league isn't going to go out of business after this season and they do have to worry about having a, a competitive team in the future. So if something comes along that, that would simply be too good to pass up, but that would entail, sacrificing one of the, their few good prospects or, you know, even a future first round draft choice, I guess he would consider it. But I, you know, that, that would really be a shock at this point. 
Yeah, we've uh, seen some moves already around uh, the division, around the league. The the big one of the division we've seen so far. Um, on Wednesday, uh, the Islanders and the Devils made a trade. Uh, the Islanders acquired forwards uh, Kyle Pal- Palmieri and Travis Sajak from the Devils. Um, in exchange for their own 2021 first-round pick, a conditional fourth-round pick the following year, and then uh, forwards A.J. Gurr and uh, Mason, I think that's Yubes. Um I mean that's that's pretty huge. I think you know, the Devils obviously aren't you know looking to make the playoffs. I think the quote from uh, Fitzgerald uh, when he made the trade is that he said he hoped uh, he the the first round pick they get back is the thirty second pick. Uh, he said he he hopes the Islanders win the cup and which is kind of something weird to see. I guess uh, a GM talking about another team in the division, but um, the Devils know the situation but uh i mean what do you think this means for the for the penguins uh in you know the the near feet not just for the games against the islanders but i mean they do have a lot of games remaining against the devils too yeah at this point five of their next eight games are against the devils and i think when uh when word of the trade got out wednesday evening i wouldn't be surprised if a uh, pack of penguins led by Sidney crosby uh, went across the Hudson to New Jersey to help Travis Zajac pack to make sure that he was out of Newark by this weekend when when the Penguins play there because he's been a thorn in their side for many, many years. And uh, they won't mind uh, seeing him gone. And they certainly won't uh, miss having to deal with Palmieri uh during this regular season either. Now, if it gets to a point where they would run into the Islanders in the, in the playoffs, you know, maybe their, uh, their feelings about the trade will change uh, quite a bit, but, but in the short term, you know, this is a, uh, a nice deal for, for the Penguins because the, you know, they're done with the Islanders for this season and have all of those games with the Devils coming up here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. The only, um, I, I guess the because de- the Devils really don't have a whole lot to play for the remaining of the stretch. Uh, the only thing I can think of is maybe is in you know these these last games if they start giving opportunities to younger players who would be coming up young, hungry, and looking to you know prove themselves like we kind of see with with the bad teams towards the end of the season uh, in, in in other years. Um, so I mean, this does create an opportunity for them, but uh, like you said. Uh, I think this can only help the Penguins for the rest of the the stretch. Um, yeah. Not that they should expect an easy game against the Devils because they never have an easy game against the Devils. It doesn't <laughs> matter who who's wearing those New Jersey uniforms. They seem to uh, make life miserable for the Penguins. But I, you know, I don't think it's you know, unreasonable for them to think that they, they will have a chance of, of taking four points out of the two games in, in Newark this weekend. Yeah. And, and, and it, it makes sense for, for, for both sides. I think I'm just like scrolling through the comments now on our, on our trade tracker from that. And there's one that says, you know, like what could the devils conceivably be thinking here? Um, we, I didn't mention it earlier, but Zajac and Palmer are both set to be unrestricted free agents. So um, to let them go, it, it probably means that they, they weren't expecting to be able to re-sign them. 
Um, so these are the kind of moves that you're we're gonna see. Um, you know, lo, like Eric Stahl. When Eric Stahl got when the Sabres traded Eric Stahl, uh, he's you know not gonna be back. So these are the kind of moves we're gonna be seeing. Um, yeah, but- and and Tom Fitzgerald actually gave uh, Zajac at least. I don't know about Paul Murray, but he gave Zajac the option of vetoing the trade. Um, just because he's meant so much to that franchise for so long. It was a it was a pretty nice re- show show of respect by by Fitzgerald I thought uh, and you know Zajac wants to try to win a Stanley Cup which you know certainly can't blame a guy for that so so he agreed to to the trade but yeah I mean you know it's it's most of the guys that you see change teams around the deadline you know tend to be free agents to be. Um, from teams that are going to to miss the playoffs, you know, right. rental rental players, and yeah. uh, that's you know, it, it doesn't preclude Palmieri and Zajac re-signing with the Devils after this season. But you know, they certainly have no obligation to, and uh, you know, they may or may not want to after uh, after they've been there for a while. I always like it when a Lou Lamorello team acquires a guy who uh, has had a pretty uh, significant beard throughout his career, <laughs> like like Palmieri did. Because, um, I mean, for people that don't know, Lamorello does not allow his players to have facial hair during the regular season. Um, if they're on one of his teams, and he is the president of Hockey Ops for the Islanders now, so... Uh, yeah, Kyle Palmieri he had a pretty uh, pretty crazy beard, but yeah, he had to shave it. Uh, he was he before he had it he had to shave before the practice on uh, or I think it was a morning skate on on Thursday. I saw uh, his wife quote tweeted the picture on Twitter and said, "I don't know who this man is." But, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't. What do yeah, you? Yeah, that's that's been a Lamorello policy, certainly since he's been in the NHL, and it it probably. Dates to his days running the show at uh, at Providence College, and you know, make no mistake when when Lou Lamorello is on the payroll, he is running the show. He's uh, he's qu- quite a present, uh, quite a force of nature, and uh, he makes rules and he makes people adhere to them. I know, I know we tend to disagree on a lot of old school, new school stuff, but uh, Lamorella's no beard rule. What do you think about that? I don't see the point. <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I, I think it's a, it's a pretty good example of, uh, and this, I, this isn't necessarily as negative as it might sound, but it kind of reinforces the, the notion of, of Lou Lamorello as a control freak. Um. You know, I, I'm not sure that, you know, whether a player has facial hair or not is really going to impact his performance or his discipline or, or anything else that pertains to his performance. But, but it is a, a good, the rule is a good way for, for Lou to let players know that he is the man in charge. Yeah, we'll uh, talk more about this in the next segment. We're going to have uh, the Devils Radio play-by-play and play-by-play man <laughs> Matt Lachlan in the next segment. Uh, so stay tuned for, for more talk about the Devils and, and the trade deadline and everything with that uh, on the 66 to 87 podcast.
Welcome back to the third segment of the 66 to 87 podcast. I'm Taylor Haas, Dave Molinari again. Uh, still no Tom Reed somewhere <laughs> lost in traffic. Um, we're joined now by uh, Matt Lachlan, the play-by-play broadcaster for the radio broadcast of the Devils. Uh, Matt, thanks for joining us. Well, Taylor and Dave, thank you very much for the invite. And uh, I can certainly appreciate uh, what uh, is happening traffic-wise. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, where you're from. Uh, I mean, to to start off the big news uh, on on uh, the Devils' end, um, we're recording this on Thursday. Uh, yesterday, uh, the the big trade with the Islanders, sending Zajac and uh, Palmieri to the Islanders. Just what what impact can you see that having on on the Devils? And what just what were your immediate reactions to that trade? Well, first off, the trade of Kyle Palmieri was not unexpected unrestricted free agent, he and his agent not able to come to terms with Tom Fitzgerald, the team's general manager. So you knew he was on the move. I wasn't so sure about Travis, also a UFA. I knew he could have some impact on a team, but he was reluctant to move. Last year, he was asked to waive his no-move clause, and he refused. So I wasn't sure which way the winds were blowing there. But he's been revived. He's had a good year. He's scoring a little bit more. And I think he was intrigued by the opportunity for one last kick at the can. And who knows, maybe he'll sign somewhere next year, perhaps with the Devils, but a chance at a Stanley Cup. And it was only going to be the Islanders, I think, that he would go to. His friend Andy Green is there. He can keep his family here in New Jersey. He knows Lou Lamorello, etc. So not surprised at all that Kyle went. A little surprised that Travis went Completely caught off guard that they would go to the same team. <laughs> I never saw that coming, but with Lou Lamorello, you never leave anything out. And so uh, good luck to them. As for the Devils, it just gives some young guys more of a chance to show what they can do down the stretch here as this team continues its rebuilding effort. Guys will get a chance. Jesper Boquist uh, tonight, again, as we recorded on Thursday, will be moved to the center spot. Let's see what he can do. Uh, the other night, Tice Thompson came in on the wing. Let's see what this young kid can do. So there'll be opportunities there. I, uh, I I thought Fitzgerald's comments after were interesting. That you know he hopes that first round pick they get back is the thirty second uh, pick, and you know that the Islanders win the cup. Um, I think that's a classy you know statement, but uh, not something we see a whole lot uh, from uh, I guess teams making trades at least in their own division. Um, what, what did you think about uh, about that? Uh, Yeah, you know, I think it does speak volumes about the respect that Tom has for those two players and what they brought to the Devils. And having been a player himself, I think he understands the opportunity there. Yes, it caught some Devils fans by surprise. Like, wait a minute, you would rather us have a worse pick in the first round uh, (laughs) at the expense of uh, the Islanders winning the championship? So, yeah, it was a little bit of a surprise, but I think knowing Tom, and the respect, as I said, he had for the players, not really too unusual. Might also indicate that he's not too interested in using that pick. It's going uh, to select a player. It might be a chip moving forward in the offseason for a trade. Did you uh, see the pictures of uh, Palmieri after he had to shave uh, the beard <laughs> before Thursday's morning skate? Yeah, total new look. Uh, one he sported pretty much early in his time with the Devils. He always had a little five o'clock shadow. That beard grows quickly for him, but he looked good with the mountain man look. I'm just curious how long it took to take that thing off, but you knew that was not going to last once he went to the Islanders. 
I loved uh, his his. I saw his wife tweeted like, "I don't know who this man is." I thought that was <laughs> I thought that was great. Um, the, before the trade deadline on Monday, how, just how many more guys do you expect to be dealt uh, from from the Devils? You know, I spoke to Tom about it today for an intermission interview we're going to use, and you know, he's not going to move some of the defensemen who are UFAs just for the sake of getting a pick that may or may not be that high. He's not interested in emptying emptying the tank for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is he's willing to let these defensemen help this team defensively the rest of the way because these young kids are going to need to play a little more freely. And if the Devils suddenly, who want to play fast and aggressive, and I mean, that's the way everyone wants to play, if they're going to have to start to play a much more defensive style because they've got gotten even younger on the back end, Tom's not sure that that is good for the development of the forwards. And so you want to build a little confidence the rest of the way. You don't want things to tank completely. And and the other side is that, yes, you don't want an asset to walk, but if you're not going to get a huge return, then it's not so bad to, to use them for your benefit the rest of the way and then see where the, the chips fall after that. Uh, Matt, one guy I, I don't think we're going to see Tom Fitzgerald try to move is uh, Ty Smith. <laughs> uh, what uh, – I. I you know, he's uh, for people who might not be aware because the Penguins have faced the devil so few times so far this season. Uh, he's an exceptional young defenseman. I think he might be the best rookie defenseman in the league this year. Uh, what do you particularly like about him and what do you see as uh, ultimately being the, the ceiling for him? Yeah, when he came out of junior, uh, Dave, as you know, there was some question about his foot speed despite being a first-round pick. That's not been an issue. He's not a blazer, but he's smart, and so he uses his body well. He angles guys well, and he doesn't get caught in a spot where suddenly it's a foot race on a regular basis. I think what has stood out to me is his compete level. Even though he's not the biggest guy, He's not afraid to get in front and battle with guys, go in the corner, get pucks out of there. So he is engaged in the battle. His play has dropped off a little bit as the season has worn on, but he can get the puck through. He can faint at the blue line. Uh, I know the Rangers love, and rightfully so, Adam Fox. And, and even though he's just you know a little older than Ty in terms of experience, I don't want to compare Ty to him because Adam is carving his own career. But that ability just to make a little move, create a lane, and get the shot off quickly is something that a lot of defensemen wish they had. And Ty has it. He's not intimidated by the moment. Um, you know, he's a very good defenseman, and the Devils will benefit from him. I mean, hey, he, you know, he's just a young man, so uh, he can finally buy a legal beverage as he just <laughs> turned. He just turned twenty-one a couple of weeks ago. Um, the or devil... buy a beverage legally. I guess that's the best. They're all, <laughs> they're all legal beverages, but he could buy a beverage illegally. <laughs> uh, the Devils obviously are, are are building their team now, and as we mentioned before, uh, they haven't played the Penguins much so far this season. That will certainly change over the next few weeks. Uh, but are there any good young players that? that the devils have that people in pit, you know, who might be flying uh, under the radar for people in Pittsburgh who haven't seen New Jersey all that often this season. Yeah. You know, while all the focus is on a Ty Smith and a Jack Hughes, I think that people should look at the guy who wears number 17, Yegor Sharon Govich, a fifth round pick 
from Belarus, who at the tail end of the American Hockey League last season started to find the scoring touch. He was always a shooter. He That's the one thing scouts say when they saw him, like, wow, who is that guy? He's not afraid to shoot. Uh, but not finding the target was a problem. However, he started to get it. And then he went back home and played in the KHL while we were locked down in the National Hockey League. And he was playing in a lot of different roles. And he started to score there. And the confidence is so important, as you know, uh, Dave and Taylor, for any hockey player, any athlete, really. And he's just come on. And he's not afraid to shoot. And he's got wheels. He's got size. And he's got smarts. So he would be one guy that I think kind of came out of the blue. Devils thought there was something there this soon, not necessarily, and he would definitely be someone to watch. They also have a guy who uh, didn't get much of a chance in Carolina, Yane Kokinen, but he can score. He plays with smarts and some size too. Lately, they've been with Jack Hughes. Previously, they were with Travis Zajac. And, and those two young guys, you know, and one's 22 and one's 23, you know, are part of the future for sure. Get you out of here on one last question. Uh, you know, this this offseason or any, you know, trades the Devils make, uh, you know, heading into the trade deadline, just what do, does this team need to become a playoff team, this Devils team? Yeah, so they need a sniper for sure. And if you know where one's hanging out and is available, uh, <laughs> please send me an email and I'll let Tom Fitzgerald know. Not easy to come by, but they feel that they drafted one last year in the first round, Alex Holtz uh, from Sweden. So they think that there's someone in the pipeline. Nolan Foote came over in the trade last year for Blake Coleman. Uh, they're excited to see what he might do. So they think there are a couple of players who can be on that wing with the Jack Hughes. Because Jack right now, I, I'm not sure what his ceiling is in terms of a goal scorer, but he's a phenomenal passer. And if he can get somebody to convert some of those passes, he's going to put up a huge amount of points. So that's a need they think they might have. Internally, it might be a year or two before you see those talents blossom. They definitely need to improve the defense. They have some guys down at Binghamton, but they're all first-year pros, and it's a huge learning curve for them. But uh, a Kevin Ball who was acquired in the Taylor Hall trade is one big. Doesn't play as physical as you might think for his size, but long stick, really good defensive presence. And they have uh, another player that they drafted in the second round a couple of years ago, Nikita Akutuk. Uh, who played for the Ottawa 67s. He plays physically. Tom Tom Fitzgerald says he will remind people of Darius Kasparitis. The way mm. he, so I, when he said that, I saw the young people in the room going, okay, that's a K-A-S. I have to look that up. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that's pretty high praise. So those are a couple of the young guys down the road. They have to get better defensively. They have to find a way to convert. And uh, snipers, wingers will help. Awesome. Great. Yeah. Thanks again uh, for, for joining us, Matt. Uh, again, I'm Taylor Haas, Dave Molinari, and for Tom Reed. Uh, we do, if, you know, you know, here we do shows uh, every Tuesday and Friday. So the next time you hear from us on the 66 to 87 podcast will be after the trade deadline. Uh, so I'm sure we'll have a lot of talk to talk about then. Uh, thanks again for joining us and we hope you'll join us next week.